Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Do you have any experience in motion pictures? Oh yeah, quite a bit actually. I have quite a bit of experience. I'm uh, an active uh, renter at Blockbuster, and I um, attend the film to cinema uh, as, as much as possible, weekly, bi-weekly. Welcome aboard. Here's your wardrobe. finished we are over how come you had sex with jeff so well, i never thought of it that way stay with him stay with him ah! go picture keep it together keep it together keep it together keep it together i'm keeping it together so bowfinger is you know the story of this down on his luck producer who is looking for a hit and he thinks he finds, you know, this great script and he ends up uh, kind of cajoling all his uh, friends and every and associates to, to, to do this. And they need a star who is played by Eddie Murphy as Kit Ramsey, but he doesn't want to do it. So that what they end up doing is filming it without his knowledge. And then they uh, recruit a guy who looks exactly like Kit Ramsey who is also played by Eddie Murphy and it's directed by Frank Oz, who is, who is a filmmaker uh, I've always liked uh, quite a bit. Um, you coming right Brando. off of uh, he's kind of, yeah. So he's coming right off of in and out, which was a big hit and, uh, and it's leading right into the score, which was a surprising summer hit in 2001. I don't think he has anything in between there. And so, so Frank Oz in general is an interesting '90s, you know, commercial director. So, okay, so Deniston, I I didn't see this in theaters, but I saw it on TV, and I remembered liking it a lot more. I I remember really oh, being God. with it. Uh, Do on not all tell me the, the this jokes. is the episode. 
where you hate on Bowfinger and love the Muse. Do not, please. Are we at that place well, right now? Well, I want to give Is you some context, episode? you know, for that. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not like super negative on it. It's a near miss uh, for me at, at, to, today. And I really, okay, so I really love Eddie Murphy's performance as Jif here, as the other side of, of Kit Ramsey uh, here. And I think that's really, really funny. This scene of him having to run across the highway and, 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 and he's been told that they're all stunt drivers and that he'll be okay and there's no danger at all. It was so good. I don't want to do this anymore. What are you talking about? I don't want to do it. I just want to run errands. Heavenly God. Heavenly God. What are you talking about? Not many people can do what you just did. The stunt drivers were really impressed, weren't they? Uh, really? Now, guess what? We got an errand we want you to do. Really? We want you to go to Starbucks. Oh, I do. Get I, coffee for everybody. A really complicated I order. Would love to do, I would love to just go get some coffee. And you're the only person who can do it. Yes, I want to get some coffee now. Okay, but first, let's do this one more time. And I think that's really, really funny. But I think some of the other scenes come off as really mean-spirited. And, and in general, I look at this character played by Steve Martin, Bobby Bowfinger. Uh, he's quite a shyster. He's quite a shyster. And he's leading on all these people, <laughs> well, yeah. uh, you know, to do this. And, you know, and, and, and it's hard for me to sympathize with him. He's not paying them. He's making people pay for auditions, which is a, which is a, you know, bad practice. And, um, and, and I think the movie's perspective, you know, is that we should get behind him because he has dreams, big dreams and everything. But it, I had a similar, uh, experience with, the disaster artist, which I finally caught up with because a friend was telling me I had to watch it and everything. Um, I had a similar experience with that in that some people look at Tommy Wiseau, you know, and they see a guy with big dreams and, and who, you know, uh, has, you know, the, who, who wants to make movies and blah, blah, blah. There's a much better movie, much better movie coming up in 1999 than I think deals with the same idea. But I think because, you know, it's a documentary that it, it you know, does it much better. Um, but I look at Bobby Bowfinger and I look at Tommy Wiseau, uh, today. And, and as an adult, I just see them as shysters. Uh, I can't, it's hard for me to understand, you know, treating all these people around you the way you do, um, the way they do and, and, and me being able to, to understand that. And I, what I will say, I really enjoy all the moments with, with Jif, uh, who, who is very funny and um, the other, the other, the other area where the movie I think falls uh, short is this Heather Graham character, who is arriving in Hollywood for the first time, similar to Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive, you know, with dreams of being a star. Uh, and the movie takes you know a different direction with her character than David Lynch took with uh, with Naomi Watts's character, even though they go through similar conflicts uh you know heather graham's character seems to decide very quickly to just sleep her way to the top and we're supposed to think it's just really uh endlessly funny that that she's just going to sleep with anyone around her in order to get ahead uh and even if there's some truth to that i just don't find it that clever and i think 
the you know the 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 real emotional truth of that is you know is that is that a lot of women get uh exploited um you know that way and and so it it feels odd to have a movie uh you know going the other direction and, and portraying her as you know a you know a slut and uh i don't know i don't think that element stands up very well today so okay Denison, go ahead don't it hate works me. for me that don't that totally me. works because uh, what i like about both the heather graham character and the steve martin character is that they're go-getters they just get things done like that's you know we can we can talk about what, what, what we want to do what we wish would happen uh but you know someone has to like sort of push it through and so the heather graham character like you know, I think she, I, I prefer this version of her, uh, where she has agency and is taking advantage of these stupid men as opposed to her being naive and just sort of, you know, tossed from one unfortunate situation to the next. You know, she's, she's moving up the ranks. I guess, you know, the comedy, if, if there is any, is that she's moving up the ranks to like from one like loser to the next, really. Um, but I'm I'm very surprised by this response from you because I <laughs> I think this movie has some like really like classic sort of moments where you know there's this the idea that the idea that <laughs> no movie like costs millions of dollars but that when you boil it down they all cost uh two thousand one hundred eighty four dollars like if you <laughs> if you just break it down to its its essence that you could make anything for that amount of money I I, I love this character played by Steve Martin I love that he he was aware enough even as a child to think as a 10 year old in that that scene where he's like i always want to make movies i know that was always gonna be a passion of mine going forward into adulthood but that no one would ever give me the opportunity to so he would you know he put money aside that ends up to this 2100 dollars and change to to make his movie and yeah i mean he's to me like you know the biggest sin is more that he's stalking <laughs> stalking mm-hmm. this unhinged man around and you know causing him uh more you know mental health anguish and problems um but I, you know for the most part i think that the movie uh, you know i think it it's dealing with characters that sort of are taking advantage of you know other like-minded souls who are or you know lower on the 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 Hollywood tears as far as their, their hanger ons, you know, they they did one play once and uh, they, they maybe did uh you know, they were an extra in a scene, but they, they all have these dreams of doing something. So I don't have any issue with them banding together and basically, you know, attacking the church of Scientology here. Like that's, you know, that's where a lot of the, the sort of Hollywood like in jokes come from, but I think it totally plays because they actually have a character to back it up played by Eddie Murphy. And I said, the last episode that I thought he should have been nominated for for this you know dual uh, roles that he had this this performance I I, I actually like both versions I like the his movie star that is you know totally consumed with the amount of like perceived disrespect that he's getting even though he's very successful and all he does is disrespect like those around him I mean so much so where he pulls out a gun and starts firing it just for like you know dramatic effect to make his point. Um, I enjoy him talking about the fact that if he's going to win an Oscar, he would have to basically play a slave mm-hmm. character, which I well, actually think 20 years yeah. later, we're still seeing that as far as, you know, if you're black, you have to play some sort of victim of some sort to get any sort of attention, some sort of recognition. Um, I'm also a big fan of his, uh, <laughs> the notes he gives about some action movies doing where he, he throws a character named cliff off a cliff and he says it's too cerebral. We're trying to, you have to like that. You have to expect the audience to know that his name is cliff and he's on a cliff, all that stuff. I, I love, I, and I thought you would be totally in the bag for, for this, these type of these moments here. 
uh, because it seems to be, you know, going the opposite way of what, uh, you know, speaking of Oscars, what they go for, where it's sort of, you know, taking the wind out of uh, what we do here, what the, the those in those community, who they are and uh, what their, their goals are. Their goals are to just see themselves on screen. And that's most of the battle. And if what they make happens to be somewhat decent, then that's fine, too. So I actually like, you know, them taking a taking some swings at themselves as opposed to glorifying, you know, the greatness of cinema and what they do. I think it's really good for its time, that aspect of it, uh, Eddie Murphy's performance specifically as Kit. Um, but the, I, 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 I'm, I'm comparing it to Tracy Morgan's performance as Tracy Jordan in 30 Rock. And um, that's that's a little bit more incisive uh, and funny to me, and there seems to be more truth uh, to that. It, whereas here, the Kit Ramsey jokes are uh, are dressed up to to the point where where they're they're outlandish to the point where a lot of the truth is, is no longer there. And I think that makes sense that Eddie Murphy would want to do that because he wouldn't want to be making fun of himself too much. That's what I see mm, in the Kid yeah, Ramsey character. Yeah, that's fair. And the GIF character, the GIF character is so great because because he's so wide wide eyed and uh, you know in love with the idea of just helping out and blah blah blah. Um, and, and you know that 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 stuff still remains very very funny, as funny as I remember it being. So it has sort of the same problem as the player for me in that, and the player is a much better movie. Uh, but here. They all seem to be getting like C. Martin seems to be going crazy nuts over this idea for uh, for this movie, the script, and 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 the more we see of it, the the worse and the worse and stupider it looks. And you just it, it he doesn't he's not really in love with the idea of making movies. He really does seem like a guy who's doing this for the money uh, to hopefully sell this thing. And that's where that's where it becomes you know hard for me to sympathize. You know, Christine Baranski, her character, yeah, so it's kind of funny that that she uh, thinks so highly of herself and blah blah blah. But you know, at the beginning, she she's talking about you know working, uh, like she's going to take a part that's you know in Cats in New York or whatever. You know what? You know what? That's a paying job. Uh, like in the fact and the fact that Steve Martin. Uh, his character talks her out of it and makes her stay for this facade for this, you know, uh, scam artist kind of, kind of deal uh, makes me lose sympathy for him. And same thing with Jamie Kennedy, you know, he may be parking cars and moving cars or whatever, but he's working. Um, like it, <laughs> I actually don't have any problem. I'm surprised you'd have any problem with the, uh... Kennedy character because he's the only one that's like in on. I don't. Everything. I don't. And, yeah, I don't have a okay. problem with Kennedy. I'm just saying, in comparison to Steve Martin's character, you know, he's doing an honest uh, job. Uh, and and uh, but Steve Martin is the one kind of egging everyone on to you know to make this movie that looks awful. That that you know doesn't look like well, even with Kit Ramsey in it, it looks like it would be like the end of Kit Ramsey's career. Uh, it, like it, you know, it's unfair to him. Uh, this poor guy well, who's having I mean, clear okay. psychological problems. I know I'm a- analyzing this to to way yeah, more yeah, than what it should be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say, like, I, I think that's actually very realistic. That uh, you know, I don't think it's realistic that anyone's gonna get like enthralled with that idea that they're making Chubby Rain mm-hmm. just by the title and that you know, the opening narration to that film. But, you know, I, I think that there's an element like towards the end of the film where they're watching their finished product and yes, it's bad, but 
it's like you know they they see their name on it they see themselves in it and it's there's they pride in that you know it's it didn't turn out as well as they had hoped or you know maybe some of them thought it was gonna be dog shit the entire time but they still can point to that and say i i made that like i remember i remember kevin smith in an interview or one of his like uh you know stand-up type specials the q a's he did with uh, his fans uh, talking about going into uh, you know massive uh, debt to uh, to to make clerks uh, just because and with no hope that it's like oh he's going to be the sensation I'm I'm sure he this his life as it turned out was far removed from like his initial desires for for clerks but he was saying that you know even if it didn't work out that he was going to while he's like working these you know jobs that are not stimulating in the slightest. He can point to that and say, I made this. Like he would have something, some tangible thing that he could show to his kids or whatever down the line saying, this is, you know, this is, I had that one shot to produce something. And I get a little bit of an element of that with, with Bowfinger. I, I think those, those final scenes work. I actually think, you know, you keep going back to the GIF character. He has that moment. I guess it's the one time in the film where Bowfinger is not uh, duplicitous in any way, where he reveals that he is actually related. He's not just a lookalike. Uh, to the Kit Ramsey character, but he's his twin brother, and he talks about, you know, he he likes finding people that just like being around him uh, for once, like, and not, you know, not that he's just like the idiot sort of black sheep of this this very famous man, um, and just you know, he just enjoys he just sort of enjoys enjoys doing something in a collaborative nature. But I don't think most people like the Jamie Kennedy character, even if they're on the periphery of you know making films they're you know they might as well not even be there you know there's just a, a nameless like task that can be done by someone else and so even if they're making something bad i think that people just enjoy saying you know this is something i had a a bigger hand in making um i mean that's why you know podcasts one you know have taken off or like you have experience as far as like in you know like independent films probably like having gone to film school where it's like I'm sure a lot of that stuff didn't turn out as anticipated, but there has to be some sort of pride you take in just like, yes, I I was a big part of this coming to fruition in some way. I mean, you 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 know, yeah, okay, you want to, you know, talk about me personally, you know, whatever. Um so <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, I've had good experiences and bad experiences in regards to that, and that's sort of what makes it I think that make, what makes it more difficult uh for me is that, is that Steve Martin isn't approaching like Bowfinger isn't approaching this purely from the love of movie making. He wouldn't make this if he didn't have Kit Ramsey in it. I don't think he would. And that's where it, that's where it, it's hard for me. If he was being honest, uh, and, but you know, and then all the jokes of him made like charging people for auditions. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like, like he, you know, the, there's a definite, uh, he steps over the line. Now, now, now another nineties movie uh, that I wanted to go back and rewatch some scenes from, uh, but I didn't get a chance to uh, Ed Wood from Tim Burton. You always sense that Ed Wood really loves the experience of making movies, you know, itself. And he, and even though he's getting, you know, financial procurements from all sorts of crazy wild things, it's all in the name of this, of this movie that's going to be up on the screen. Uh, and, and with, with Bowfinger, it, you know, it's, it seems more selfish and dark and, uh, and, and, you know, it, that even feeds into this whole scene of him, um, you know, seducing and flirting with Heather Graham, uh, you know, which uh, it, it all, it all there, there, see, he seems to be like the real villain of the movie. The movie's just not willing to 
really uh, chastise him for it. And that was my problem with, with the disaster artist mm. too. I, I think they basically forced themselves to soften uh, who Tommy Wiseau really is in order, in order to have a more heartwarming movie, which is the truth is that, you know, this guy is a liar and a con artist and maybe we should uh, treat him, uh, you know, like such. Yeah. And that doesn't make well, for a very good know. movie, which my, my chief criticism of The Disaster Artist is that, yeah, they just shouldn't have made it. It wouldn't make for a very good movie, the making of that movie. Uh, I Well, I mean, so Ed Wood uh, was a box office bomb um, at the time. I don't know if the player, I mean, that doesn't seem like something that was ever like greatly like, you know, a huge success at the box office, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe a modest hit. I, I think the, the the aims here are just different. Like, cause you know, I, I actually was surprised when having it from me that the Bowfinger, you know, release was, it opened number two behind the sixth sense, but it still made $18 million opening weekend, which I, I mean, that's just a, mm-hmm. a drum we keep mm-hmm. beating on, on this podcast was like, good God. Like, you know, I look at something like this, like there's nothing like this sort of inside baseball, Hollywood comedy, uh, you know, and Steve Martin, at the time, it's not like he was Jim Carrey, where it's like whatever comedy project he was attached to was going to, you know, open big. But yeah, I mean, this this thing doing what fifty five million dollars uh, is just crazy to me. So, but I think one difference is I think the people poning up the dollars to reach those mainstream uh, eyeballs they want to see, you know, the, a con man do this. They don't, you know, I don't know if they want to see <laughs> Bowfinger think that Chubby Rain it's great. Like you would see in Ed Wood with Johnny Depp's character. I think you know, at some point you're going to lose people thinking like, why am I watching this fucking idiot? Like, you know, just make trash. Uh, and I mean, just the, even the poster for, you know, Bowfinger, it's, you know, the tagline is the con is on, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I think they liked the, you know, the shyster thing. And I think that's what sort of sold this to a broader audience than most sort of inside baseball, uh, Hollywood movies would normally do. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's hard to say there, there was a movie, about 10 years ago called The Deal with William H. Macy and Taylor Leone. Uh, and, and that, that, you know, was, was like not a good, not good at all in comparison to Bowfinger, um, but, but kind of similarly themed. And I do think these kind of like behind the scenes uh, movies are less popular today than, than they had more of a novelty effect, I think in the late nineties. Mm. And yeah. I think today we, we see so many of these that it becomes it becomes kind of a kind of a sad joke uh, on the nature of the industry. And even even movies I like, like La La Land, are, are guilty of it, that that, you know, filmmakers are so cloistered and so in their own echo chambers that they can't think of anything uh, interesting beyond their own lives. And like that would be like my advice for anyone who is like a young aspiring filmmaker is you know don't make movies about hollywood and about uh, and about actors and and writers and and stuff like that uh you know find something that you know that people haven't seen and that people are uh and that that you know that's more outside of you know yourself because uh i think in general people are, are more interested in that i would give that advice uh with hindsight uh, to mr albert brooks for the back oh, half of in a city built on fantasy, a heavenly beauty is performing a service a lot of people are happy to pay for. You know what a muse is? They were the daughters of Zeus. There were nine of them. They inspired all creativity. I can see why you need me. That woman, she's a muse. I have good news for you. And if you're lucky enough to be with her, you write better than you've ever written in your whole life. 
You're my new client. So I've got my own muse. But making use of her magic... Is there some list of muse rules I need to know? Be careful. Don't get too close. ...will cost him more than he's ever imagined. I'm going to need somewhere to live. A very nice suite at the Four Seasons. The walls are too bright. We need to do some grocery shopping. Hi, Daddy. Look, Daddy's here. You're shopping? Yeah. Who eats these? The snails? Well, there's a lot of things you don't know about me. Like your need for tampons. Albert Brooks, Sharon Stone, Andy McDowell, and Jeff Bridges. It's mystical. Told you. It's magical. Wow. It just might save my life. The Muse. Okay, let me give context to the Albert Brooks thing. Okay? You're going to need it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when we started this project many, many years ago, uh, you know, which, which I, people probably aren't aware of, uh, like, you know, I put this on, on the thing and, and I got my copy of it and everything. And I was looking forward to rewatching cause I hadn't seen it in many, many years. And I really love Albert Brooks's films. Lost in America is, is one that I revisit all the time. Another one he made right before that called modern romance is terrific as well. Uh, he, you know, he has an interesting voice and we, and you know, but you're it's talking like almost two decades before this. Yes. Like yes. Those early eighties. Okay. You know, it's the, the director's work. Uh, mother, mother is also pretty good too. You know, so- uh, before you go on your huge defense of this, I thought that I had seen this uh, and thought like, yeah, it was okay. I don't like have strong feelings about it, but I don't remember putting up a fight with you having this on the schedule. Uh, and I'm, I was watching this with my wife yesterday and she's like, have you seen this before? Uh, she was not a fan. And I was like, I think so. I was like, I don't remember any of this stuff though. And I was confusing it with mother, which I guess in that time period, Brooks just had like sort of domineering women on, on the mind, uh, which is one that I, I guess I thought was fairly pleasant, uh, back then. What did that, was that right before or right after, uh, the muse? I think that was about 19, I was 1996. That was three years before the muse. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, you, uh, fooled me with this one. Cause I, I remember enjoying, uh, Debbie Reynolds, I believe. And thought that was mildly amusing, but I had, this is a true first time watch for me. I had not seen this before. Okay. And, uh, that's interesting because my, so what I was going to lead into is that I ended up watching this randomly, uh, a few months ago, uh, or like six or nine months ago. Cause, cause, cause I wasn't sure if we were ever going to get to it or whatever. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I remember, and I Boy. remember thinking, you know, yeah, that was pretty funny, but it kind of falls apart. And then watching it again uh, in so, such a short time span, you know, really gave me uh, an interesting outlook on it. And, and I had more fun with it this time than, uh, than I ever have. And I really think the movie, I think the movie plays better once you know, and you're keeping in mind the uh the the secrets uh you know uh, well the 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 twists at the end here oh, God. uh and i thought you were gonna say once you realize it's not funny that it's a comedy that has no laughs in it whatsoever oh come on now look <laughs> i was very nice with bowfinger i was not you know now, <laughs> now if i could give up my put, put my, my defense for the muse for which is a, which is from albert brooks who's a filmmaker i really like He's had a movie in the Criterion Collection, so you know he's got some <laughs> cool points with the kids now. Um, <laughs> I think that I think this is a very interesting movie in the respect that it's all just a placebo for that leads the characters towards entrepreneurship. Uh, hard word to pronounce. Um, 
But basically, okay. the whole thing is just a placebo for these rich, uh, you know, members of the elite who have money to burn. And they, they, you know, they, they, they think they have these big problems and everything, but ultimately all they need is a push to, uh, to do things a little bit differently to, to, you know, to, for him to approach his work a little bit differently and for Andy McDowell to realize that she could make cookies and, and blah, blah, blah. That's my interpretation of it, uh, today. And I think it's more grounded than Bowfinger because I look at this Jim Carrey, uh, script idea he has and I think oh yeah I could see that selling with like whether it'd be good or not whether I would like it or not is another story but I could see it selling for sure and, and so there there's a lot of interesting you know little okay. bits here All things right. I don't like things I don't like I think the cameos get get old uh, I think you know I th- like some of that stuff is humorous like the Martin Scorsese thing is humorous the James Cameron thing is really like that's not fair to James Cameron uh, like he's obviously a terrible actor and and it's really kind of sad uh, and and yeah that was probably not fair but you know I guess they were getting him big uh, after Titanic um, and you know the ending is yeah a little silly but uh, but ultimately it's the right ending for for this story and uh, yeah, so I'm a fan and of this then movie. It ends. I'm a fan Thank of this God. movie. Thank God. It's you know, <laughs> 90 minutes of. Okay, so the film opens with. Uh, I mean, all this stuff is just really like protracted, like long sequences, uh, which I guess is just fodder for Brooks to be a smartass. Like, he, he placed me very much like an older Adam Sandler here. Where he's always like the the wiseacre in the room that's smarter than these idiots he's like has to put up with, but they're the ones in positions of power that will give him the you know the green light or like to stroke his ego saying what he's written is great. But his uh, main problem is that, that like no one can really define it. They just say that he's lost his edge. That's I mean that's where that's what leads him to go like find this muse and to acquire her services is because no one can really say what's like. I guess from a craftsmanship level, what's different uh, about his scripts, but he's just lost his edge. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, especially with you, like referencing these previous Albert Brooks comedies that you like that were, you know, 15, 20 years prior. And I'm thinking that's fucking you, man. Like there, where are the jokes here? Like there are two sequences, one where he's not allowed to drive onto the lot. And he's like, basically like, so I'm, you know, I'm worthy of like a walk on, but not a drive on fine. But then we have this extended like five minute thing watching him walk and him do his like really like over the top like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm so tired. My legs are about to give out as he you know takes his meeting with fake Spielberg. And then another one where he delivers a salad in the middle of the night to the muse, Sharon Stone, who's just putting him through the ringer, which I would have been fine with if I felt like, you know, there's genuine gags we had like running him through all these crazy errands. And how's it end? It ends with this random hotel security guard wondering what this man is doing with this dangerous weapon that's a salad that he's delivering to someone's room, stalking him for some reason just as an excuse to run into him. So they run to each other after she turns down the salad. So we can then cut to Brooks on the floor with the salad on his face. Like, I, I think I thought this was awful. I thought it was like, there's nothing funny about this. This, like, this did not need to be produced. Like, this, <laughs> this is basically like, the Brooks talking to himself saying, you've got nothing left to say. So please stop wasting our time with this. I really enjoy it. And, and you know, there's a film <laughs> he makes after this called looking for comedy in the Muslim world, which I wasn't a huge fan of uh, when it, when it came out, but, but watching this, this again makes me think maybe I should revisit that. Um, you know, uh, criticisms from me, 
I, 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 I find myself enjoying the Andy McDowell storyline more and more every time I watch it, but I wish there had been more of a, of a closure to, to that whole thing. Uh, the, I don't the, think Brooks is genuinely interested. In maybe, that. Like, I, maybe, I think and that's a fair. Your criticism. take, I think, that's is interesting, but I don't think that was on his mind at all. See, like, I, think I don't so. think he... I, th- I think, I think Brooks mm. is, it can be a surprisingly, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, smart uh, <laughs> artist. Uh, I'm running out of brain power because I, I'm. You know, I've been up a little bit too long. Well, you're, so, <laughs> I mean, you're bending over backwards. To I'm not this, bending this over movie. backwards. I had a good time. I really had a good time with it. Uh, and I should, I should go back and rewatch Defending Your Life, which is another Brooks film that I remember being a little soft on when I first saw it. And uh, I, I don't know, more and more. I find, the, thing, the thing that I think you're missing, the thing that I think you're missing is that all the humor is supposed to be self-deprecating. He's not supposed to be a likable guy. And I think... Uh, we, we've had a you know few uh, movies uh, with you know w- where you have this take and it's fine it's an appropriate take you don't like the rich people I get it <laughs> but, uh, well uh, you know my uh, pithy response to this I wrote down my only note was this is the worst episode of Kirby Your but that's what I've that's what seen. I was going to say too was that it's sort of a it is sort of like like uh, uh, well it, it seems to be lacking that bite that Larry David has like, you know, I don't know. There's well, just it, com- some... it comes out though. Like, like before curb your enthusiasm or at least, or at least right around the same time. Right. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting, it's an interesting, like, you know, start for that. It's, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Larry David himself was kind of, was kind of uh, inspired, but you know, by this, um, and I hope not. it's, it's very self-deprecating humor and Brooks and McDowell are both kind of, you know, you know kind of, uh, almost like Revolutionary Road, they're they're people who just need to accept <laughs> that that they're the you know that uh, that sometimes you just have to go another direction and do something differently in order in order you know in order to do in order to 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 be successful again. Uh, and, and they do, and he doesn't. That's the I, that's the funny thing to me about it. He doesn't need the muse. He doesn't need all this. And I can totally buy um, Hollywood rich Hollywood elites going through this ridiculous charade of having to pay all this money to this crazy muse person, uh, thinking that, that, that this is what, you know, would revive the, their career and all that. And so There's it has one element. It has one of the funniest scenes, I think, in oh, no. a Brooks movie, which is the scene where he's at a party with uh, his wife and she's showing off her cookies to Wolfgang Puck and he's kind of relegated to talking to, to this random guy. What kind of a line of food are you in? No, 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 I keep telling you, I'm not in food. I'm a writer, a screenwriter. Ah, cream, no. gelato. Ah, no, my no. brother-in-law also, he makes tiramisu. That's no, very good. No, 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 no. <laughs> Screenwriter, I write. But you, you, write, you say write on the cream, you mean in the birthday cake? Yes, you that's write it. it. Yeah, no, that's good. That's what I do. I'm a birthday cake writer. Ah. Yes, I write happy and my partner writes birthday. <laughs> ah, yes. yes right. <laughs> I don't know but no, I mean to say what you're really doing in your real life. No, I'm trying to say about the 88th time I've told you, but I'm happy to tell you again. I'm a screenwriter. I write, you know, with a pen, yeah, I write. Ah, write you mean horse? Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. horse. Right. I love. Yeah. I eat horse also. You eat a you know, horse? Oh yes. No, I mean the, the horse meat with the asparagus. I delicious. Uh, well, what's the name of your horse? Confusion is the name of my horse. Ah, Chinese. Yes, a Chinese horse. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That is one of the funniest scenes mm. uh, in a Brooks movie that 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 uh, has me just in stitches. So. 
Go ahead. I'm done. Dad, dad, I'm done with dad the, humor. I'm done with all the, the way. You can take it from from here. Dad, dad humor all the way. Uh, the, you know, the one element of the film that you really are latching onto that could be of interest is like you know, there's a moment where he comes home, uh, you know, and he's he's allowed this muse to like you know live in their guest house, which was his like riding den. Um, and you know, eventually she, she comes into the, the house proper and like, just is taking over the space and in coordination with that, as she seems to be inspiring his wife more to start up this business based on her, her baking. Um, and he comes home and is, I guess, trying to like talk, like basically mm-hmm. yeah. talk his wife out uh-huh. of it. Um, but not in a, like, you know, it, it eventually gets to that point where he, he admits like he's afraid that whatever powers this Sharon Stone Muse character has that is it's being used up for Andy McDowell's uh incoming success and his incoming failure if you know he doesn't get more time with her. But he says something like when he picks up like her cookies and he like takes a bite of one, he's like, Ah, oh, this is delicious. And she's thinking like, Okay, he's turned a corner. He's like seeing like, Hey, there's a you know, financial future in this if we pursue it and he's like, Well yeah, but why why can't you just make them for us and we'll just enjoy them? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the crux of this character is no one needs to hear your viewpoint on the world anymore. No one like, why can't you just be happy with like, you know, he's, he's pitching his little stories to his wife and, but he thinks that there's something about his previous success that necessitates that his voice continue in the world. And I guess my, I had a very diff, different reaction from you where I'm thinking like, that's you, Brooks. That's you. Well, like, <laughs> okay, but okay. It's time for you to be quiet. Character. He's playing a character. I don't think he's supposed to be likable. Uh, and, and like I said, it's supposed to be self-deprecating humor. That's my, that's my interpretation of it. He, I think he's a mediocre writer. I, like even when he's talking about this action movie, there doesn't seem to be anything that in you know, this action script that he can't get sold. There doesn't seem to be anything particular that he's particularly excited about it. He just seems to think, oh, well, they make these movies and they make money. So, yeah, why not? Uh, and, but it's and, the same with the Jim Carrey pitch that he thinks great. Like, hey, we could get Jim Carrey and he runs an aquarium. And that's see, but I, could, I no... could see that even though it's bad, I could in this time frame of the late 90s, I could totally see that being something that that, that a studio would buy. Right, but you don't need him. You just need to basically say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Jim Carrey was like around fish and we make a movie out of it? Like, there's nothing revealed through the character that's like, oh, that's an interesting joke or gag. Like, when he's telling his wife, she's like, like, caterwauling, just like fucking, like, just making all these, like, huge expressions. Like, oh, the genius. Oh, this is great. It has me in stitches. And I'm thinking, all he said was, wouldn't it be funny if Jim Carrey was around fish? And I'm thinking, like, okay, I guess, but I mean, you know, you're gonna have to give me more than that. I like that better so, I mean, than Chubby Rain. I'll be honest; I'd rather see this than Chubby Rain. Well, at least <laughs> I, I saw—I actually saw some Chubby Rain. You know, they they put their balls on the table and showed me what they're making. And Brooks, I don't see any of it. So, I mean, I have no problem with him being a dislikable character. I'm just saying he made a movie that is, you know, is not funny and not entertaining. And so I'm thinking like it's meta in that way that like, yeah, this the whole Muse production doesn't need to be on my TV at this moment. There was nothing here that need to be produced but because he'd had prior success we got an albert brooks comedy and thankfully there was only you know apparently one more after this ha- like this was the you know the nail in the coffin have you seen what what other albert brooks's brooks movies have you seen well i actually did uh defending your life for a podcast uh and like that one um i don't think i ever did lost in america for a podcast. actually maybe we did talk about it on a podcast uh but i think only in like passing i don't think we did like a proper review of it so i mean i i like those films like i was actually shocked when you brought it up i was like oh defending your life that was probably like mid 80s and that was you know 1991 and i'm like man like so we're you know mother comes out five years later and then the muse and as i said i had like memories of mother thinking like oh that was nice that was kind of pleasant but nothing like blew my hair back but 
I really like Defending Your Life and I really like uh, Lost in America. Um, I'm trying to think if there's one more. I feel like I've seen one Mo- more. Modern Romance, films. maybe? I think that was probably it. It's the one where I he's a I, sound I editor? Remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. I have seen. Actually, I've seen Real Life, too. And I've enjoyed that as well. So what, I don't, I don't know. So yeah, this is <laughs> the one we're having on this podcast is where I'm like saying like, okay, it's time to like, you know, put Albert Brooks out to pasture to go live with old people on a farm. Cause I just, I, mean, I so detested the muse. Very extreme. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I don't think, I don't funny. think Frank like, Oz should be, or Steve Martin should be put on pastures. Uh, I just want to go on record for that. Well, they, they made um, a successful movie, Ben. You know, <laughs> Frank Oz had, like has it. made some bad movies, though. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Um, okay, so the thing that I would say <laughs> is I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember liking this uh, when I saw it on TV as a kid, but you know, be, now because of you, uh, I've probably seen it three or four times <laughs> at this point. And I found this things to really enjoy about it. And I do think there is a very interesting thread going through the movie of people who don't really, who, whose real problem is that they just can't, they just can't see their, they, they can't see themselves as, as be doing anything other than what they've done to this point to, in their lives. And they just need a little placebo to kind of, <laughs> to kind of inject that which is uh, totally unnecessary like 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 spending all this amount that's where the funny funniness of it comes to me and the fact that he gets a little bit of even though the ending is probably the worst part the fact that he gets a little comeuppance um you know had that you know he's gone through all this and he sold a script but he still has to work with this crazy person um you know the like that's a good end that's a proper ending for this story he he deserves a little comeuppance in that regard and you know yeah I think you're being a bit harsh on it. I enjoy it. This was a box office failure, and uh, America got it right. <laughs> Sometimes we get things right. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you have to say about uh, my opinions on the next two movies uh, we're covering. Do you do you want to quiz me? <laughs> I'm just surprised you're breaking tradition that you've done recently. We're like, all right, five, six, seven episodes down the road, we'll co- we'll come back to the muse. Uh, thankfully, not. Uh, quiz you. Um, at one point, uh, this lead in this upcoming film uh, would have been the most uh, successful uh, former cast member of Dawson's Creek, but I would say probably not in 2019, would not be considered as such. Well, obviously you're talking about Meryl Streep and Music of the Heart, who mm. was terrific in Dawson's Creek. I watch her I suppose every week. the other uh, <laughs> clue I could have given was... No, the, but these, I, I'm joking. These I mean. two... Uh, <laughs> scream uh yeah. collaborators decide to split apart and uh you know the writer is now directing katie holmes and you want to you want to announce it because these are two you put on the schedule as well well the director is dead he died uh, in 2015 um you so, have to go dark with it my god it's not dark i'm gonna i plan to talk a lot about wes craven because uh he's someone i really uh respected um uh, and so we'll get that to that next week so next Kevin week Williamson, we'll be still alive hopefully still still alive uh yeah so teaching mrs tingle and music of the heart teaching mrs tingle is the actual august release music of the heart didn't come out until late october 1999 but we're i think it's a good pairing i think you know pairing them together makes sense considering these two uh work together on let's see one two three four five Movies in total, I believe. Damn. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and we have, uh, you know, Williamson, I guess, 
maybe staying the course a little bit as far as, you know, the same uh, demographic he's going for. And I wouldn't, I would imagine that the Wes Craven selection we have from 1999 uh, is one that is not brought up that often when yeah, his name is I would agree. Out. I would agree. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that uh, on our next episode. <laughs>